She's a professional aromatherapist, and he is an international wellness advocate for the largest essential oil company in the world. But their love for essential oils has brought them together. Welcome to Fellowship in Essential Oils, where Elizabeth Ashley and Adam Barillet discuss essential oils and their gifts for the body, heart, head and spirit. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Fellowship in Essential Oils. Today we are looking at a very generous plant. It doesn't give us one essential oil, it gives us two. That's right, we're looking at cinnamon. Liz, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. A little nervous because I've been rehearsing like mad because there's so much to say about these two oils. I can't wait to dive in. I must admit, I've actually never really worked with cinnamon leaf essential oil, but I have definitely worked with cinnamon bark. One thing I should clarify, when most people think of cinnamon, they think of those beautiful wrapped up warm, snuggly quills that you pop maybe in mulled wine or sometimes cooking that you'll buy at the shop. Now, that is actually not cinnamon. That is cassia, which is, I guess, a cousin or a sister or whatever, a relative of the cinnamon that we're actually talking about. So when we're working with cinnamon essential oil or talking about it as we are today, it kind of looks more like wood shavings when it's the bark, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And and as you say, they they take the bark off the tree, lay it out in the sun, and it kind of bends up. But the ones that are really curly, as you say, they are they're cassia. And one thing I find really important is you love cinnamon, but you you're not a fan of cassia. No, and no, <laughs> no, I'm scared of cassia. <laughs> Those of you who haven't been to the to the masterclass are kind of missing out on an in, inside joke here because it comes every week now to take Mick out of Lizzie's horror of cassia. But um, yeah, it's too well when you see how intricately I use cinnamon, you and it's a very it's a big dermal irritant. You know, you should maximum dilution for cinnamon bark. I'm going to keep saying cinnamon bud. And if I say it, I'm sorry. It's because I'm mixing it up in clover in my head. Cinnamon bark is 0.05%. So that is really small. Well, cassia mm. is, is even lower than that. And even then I go, oh, I, don't, I just don't like it at all. Yeah. I must, where I, you know, where I separate cassia and cinnamon bark, they, they smell very similar in my opinion. Some people can pick the difference. But cassia is definitely tends to be a little bit cheaper. Um, so that's really good for your diffuser blends and your kind of different things like that. Whereas if you're needing it for more therapeutics, that's where you go for your cinnamon. So people are wondering, why have I got these two oils that smell the same? I'd use my cassia in my diffuser. I'd use my cinnamon bark for everything we're going to talk about today. Sorry, I didn't mean to introduce you. I think that uh, cassia almost smells more cinnamony than cinnamon. Um, and, and as you quite rightly say, I mean, I'm not a diffuser user. Um, that's That should become like a, a jargon, should it? A diffuser user. Um, I'm not. Um, so, yeah, and I do think probably you shouldn't really be using cassia topically, but in a diffuser, yeah, it's just the scent of Christmas, scent of holidays, isn't it? The Jewish scent as well. Exactly. We're going to talk a lot about the physical today with cinnamon bark and cinnamon leaf. Um, and if you're here for the spiritual, we'll we'll put in the comments when we're going to kick on to the spiritual if you do want to kind of go past all the practical. For me, really, really good for blood sugars and for helping to balance out blood sugars, which is really, really important, I find, because you know, we kind of go, oh, well, we don't want our blood sugars to go up and down. But why? Well, what happens with that 
is in a nutshell when blood or glucose gets into the bloodstream, the body releases insulin. I like to think of insulin as being like the kind of the escort that kind of goes, okay, sugar, let let me tell you which cell to go to for energy. Or if we don't need you for energy, we're going to put you to the fat cells and that kind of, you know, so you can be stored for later. When we have high insulin, the body kind of, I guess, reacts to that and releases cortisol, that stress hormone. And so then we're kind of amping up the body. I think if you have up and down blood sugar levels, this can actually, it's kind of like an 18-year-old when they get their license and they're like, accelerate, brake, accelerate, brake, and you kind of worry about the well-being of your car. Having our blood sugars going up and down and, and having them inconsistent actually can lead to rusting or oxidization or aging of the body. And so balancing that out and using cinnamon bark for that is one way that you might want to lean into cinnamon bark. But as I said before, she's been rehearsing. She's got plenty to share with us today. So, Liz, I'm going to go out and have a coffee and I'm going to come back once you've finished talking about everything that's cinnamon bark and cinnamon leaf, which I haven't really worked with at all, um, are good for. So I'm going to hand over to you for a moment. I actually do believe you're going for a coffee as well, which is so rude. <laughs> so I'm going to put, I might might have a cinnamon-flavoured one. Oh, that, okay. That makes it all the better then. So, yeah, thank you for talking yeah. about the anti-diabetic qualities of cinnamon bark. Um, so, yeah, two different oils um, from the same tree. And herbalists and alchemists will often say to you, you'll have better effects if you use the whole plant. And uh, obviously, as aromatherapists, usually when we look at different parts of the plant, we can kind of see a relationship between the constituents. But it's just not there with cinnamon. So if we imagine that uh, a sapling tree grows, grows into a trunk, has a branch, branches grow out, they get covered in bark and then leaves start to grow. You would imagine that there was some kind of similarity in the chemistry. Something happens during the time that the leaf is growing that changes completely. Um, and presumably it's something to do with insects and pesticides, but I, I didn't follow it strongly enough to, to find that out for sure. But I think you'll probably come to the same conclusion as me by the end of it. So cinnamon bark, as I say, apologies if I say cinnamon, but it's going to happen. Cinnamon bark. Um, the chemistry of that is around about 70% cinnamaldehyde, about 10% benzyl benzoate, and then around about 5 to 8% benzaldehyde. Compare that to the leaf, no, actually, <clears throat> another 4%, around about 4% is eugenol. Compare that to the leaf, which is about 50% eugenol. 40% transcaryophylline and 5% alpha homoline. So completely different. Mm. The cinnamaldehyde is gone. The eugenol has grown from small to huge. So we've got eugenol in both, but only cinnamaldehyde in one. Cinnamaldehyde is in the bark. Eugenol is in both, but properly big time in the leaf. Um, and so this is probably a good time to talk about the safety then because cinnamaldehyde is really, really strong dermal irritant. So maximum dilution, according to Tisserand Jung for cinnamon bark, is 0.05%. Maximum dilution for cinnamon leaf is 5%. So 100 times better to, like, more, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Less potent, if you like. Um, but they, they work in different ways. So it is like comparing ap apples and pears. <clears throat> uh, before we go on, I want to address the elephant in the room, which is transcaryophylline that appears in the um, cinnamon leaf. Whenever we talk about transcaryophylline, people's brain naturally goes to beta-caryophylline and all of those things that beta-caryophylline can do. So, excuse me. Beta-caryophylline <laughs> uh, and transcaryophylline are really similar. They're what's called isomers of each other. So they are made of the same atoms, but they are arranged differently. And isomers will come up a few times in, the, in, the, in my spiel. So remember what an isomer is. Um, the difference in the arrangement of um, atoms means that it doesn't have the same binding affinity to the same receptors. So where beta-caryophylline is very good for, like, it's like a cannabinoid mimetic and it works on a, a CB2 receptor, that's not true of transcaryophylline. So while beta-caryophylline works on immunity and inflammation and pain through the CB2 receptor, you might imagine, well, no, it doesn't do it, though. Actually, it does, but it just does it through different mechanisms. So just be really careful when you're talking to people about that. Don't go into the into the minefield of making yourself look daft of talking about because it it's just not there. So would it be right to say that transcaryophylline has the same effect as beta-caryophylline, but works in a different way? Um. I think, again, you need to be careful of usage. It has an effect on pain. It has an effect on immunity. It has an effect on inflammation. But none of those things happen because of that interaction with the beta, the beta, the CB2 receptor. Got you. Um, so, cool. okay. Okay. Can I, can I ask one other question about eugenol? Just remind us, what other oils do we normally find eugenol in? Yeah, so we'll talk about eugenol in depth as we go, but um, okay, cool. it's it's particularly prevalent in uh, clove oil and even more so in um, allspice oil, but it's in lots mm -hmm. of things. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll get down and dirty on eugenol as we go. So, cinnamaldehyde, so we're going back to, to see, I nearly did it, cinnamon bark uh, and cinnamaldehyde. Um, and this is a well-researched... Uh, constituent because it has incredible antimicrobial actions however i'm going to start in a slightly different place because it'll help you to understand how odd the antimicrobial actions are when we get there so cinnamandehyde also acts on pain it's antinociceptive so uh, nociception is the nervous system's transmission of pain or of a noxious substance and it works upon um, that receptor so if we talk a little bit about that and that, that receptor first, we'll understand it. Actually, it's um, a, a pathway rather than a receptor. So all over our skin, we have like sensors that tell us about the environment that we're in. Uh, in particular, we have these sensors called TRP uh, sensors. There's lots of different ones um, and some uh, essential oil constituents act with them. So particularly TRPM8 is, act, is a cold receptor and it's activated by menthol. And TRPV1 is activated by capsaicin. So we'll use that as our example, first of all. So imagine that you eat a chili and you go, you have like the fire in your mouth. Depending on how much capsaicin is in chili, you'll have more fire. 
you'll get hotter right through your body, you'll sweat, your eyes water, and you have like a stinging sensation. So you can imagine, you can see that that chili's in your mouth, but it's happening right the way through your body. And this is a good indication of where those those pathways are. So the TRP um, pathways exist on every single cell in the human body. Mm. So when this is why when you when capsaicin because it's the strongest agonist of it it has the hardest effect then suddenly you go I'm hot it's because it's activating that heat receptor this is also what cinnamaldehyde does so um, it heats us up and also it we can manipulate it to deal with pain and actually I'm not going to talk that much more about that now. But that is what the aspect that I'll talk about in the masterclass, if people come. We'll talk about manipulating pain through these particular channels. But what I wanted to demonstrate is that it's all the way through the human body. And so this warming effect, this feeling of coziness, has obviously been used for millennia. We hear, we, we hear about it as the earliest written records, Egyptian, Roman, everybody was using cinnamon. Particularly if you were very rich, it was extremely valuable. It was the stuff of kings and um, of, of priests. And this feeling of, of God being with you, you're wrapped in this warmth of it. It's in the holy anointing oil in the Bible. So I'm going to leave that warm part now. Just note that it deals with pain. Um, we should also say that uh, it's a, a tremendous digestive um, agent. It's also very good for the circulation for that reason of moving things through the body. But now I want to move on to its antimicrobial abilities. So it's, a, it's well researched because it acts on a pathway which is unique in that it doesn't act, uh, exist in humans. So this is called the shakimic acid pathway and it's like a, a seven-step biosynthesis that uh, bacteria use and that fungi and um, plants use to develop so it's how they multiply and this shikimic pathway to stress doesn't exist in a human body so what's really interesting when you use an agent that can do this is it affects the bacteria, but that particular aspect doesn't affect the human body. If it's synthesized in by a, by a chemist, for example, if they copy it. And famously, another uh, constituent is um, designed this way, and that's used as in the Tamiflu vaccine. Uh, star anise works in this way. So it affects the, the bacteria, but not and the virus, but not necessarily uh, um, the human body itself. So let's talk about this antimicrobial action. Um, particularly interesting about cinnamaldehyde is it is antibacterial against gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria. And that's rare because normally you'll just have gram-negative. So to explain what the difference is, the difference is anatomical, which leads to a physiological change. So if we imagine that uh, a bacteria cell is cytoplasm encapsulated by a membrane, 
Then on the gram-negative uh, membrane, on the outside of it, there's like a layer of slime. Uh, it's a lipopolysaccharide um, so, um, slime, and that's a sensitive slime. It's continually detecting what's going on in the environment. And so when a pathogen comes into con uh, into contact with that with that slime, then it learns about it and uh, reacts with immune reaction. So in my head, I have to keep straightening it out because a pathogen to me is a bacteria, but we're talking about the bacteria. So to that, the pathogen is penicillin or some kind of antibiotic. So this is why gram-negative um, bacteria become antibiotic resistant because this lipo, uh, liposaccharide lipopolysaccharide uh, slime learns once it's been exposed to it once then it goes oh okay i know how to deal with you mm. so that is the science behind antibiotic resistance um gram positive cells don't have that uh, slime so they have the cytoplasm encapsulated in the cell membrane but for them the cell membrane is much much thicker it's made up of many many layers and so because it's thicker, it's harder to penetrate. And that's why plant extracts usually aren't very good at dealing with gram-positive um, bacteria. Bear in mind that gram-negative, of course, plants evolve. So therefore, they kind of evolve with the bacteria as well. So that's why they're good at gram-negative uh, ones. But, but gram-positive ones struggle. However, if you can penetrate that uh, wall, that cell membrane, then you can uh, injure it so it can it stops replicating, which cinnamaldehyde can do. So it will puncture the cell wall so that the cytoplasm leaks DNA, it leaks RNA and proteins. And because of that, then the cell integrity is broken and it can't multiply. And so therefore that stops the proliferation of the bacteria through the body and effectively that's anti-disinfectant to it. Um, so it's very rare that an agent would be good for gram positive and gram negative, but cinnamaldehyde is. Um, so bacterial infections are the ones that we would obviously normally have antibiotics for. Um, so things like E. coli, um, staph infections, um, bronchitis, chest infections like that, um, and also a nasty called Klebsiella pneumonia, which always comes up. Everybody always tests for that. And that's because that's a pathogen that tends to hurt people when they're in hospital. So we all have this beauty inside our bodies. Klebsiella pneumonia lives in our respiratory uh, tracts and also on our skin. And it's not problematic unless you come into contact with it when you have a, deplo a depleted immune system, which if somebody's had an, a, like an operation um, or, or a fall or an accident, of course, that shrinks and it can't fight it off. So it tends to get introduced on things like catheters and surgical instruments. You know, you can sterilize as much as you like, but if somebody sniffs or sneezes closer, then, then it, it's uh, there. So it, it's a common thing. And it... That um, bacteria is responsible for things like meningitis, sepsis, um, pneumonia. Um, so 
the fact that we can deal with that through cinnamaldehyde is tremendously exciting. Very frustrating, though, for the scientists. So we talked earlier about isomers, um, and the same exists of this, like, rearrangement of atoms with cinnamaldehyde. There are two isomers of cinnamaldehyde. There is cis-cinnamaldehyde and trans-cinnamaldehyde. Trans-cinnamaldehyde is the one we're talking about. It's working really well on all of those bacteria. The problem is that very quickly, when it's exposed to air, it changes its chemical composition and it becomes cinnamyl acid. Sorry, Cinnamyl acid isn't anywhere near as clever as cinnamaldehyde. So from our point of view, as long as you're taking really good care to make sure the top's on your bottle and it's not oxidising and stuff, it's tremendous to use at home, but if you're doing things like right, like cleaning down your light switches, if there's a bug in the house, know that you haven't got long a window. You do it an hour, you're going to need to do it an hour later as well. So on its own, it's not that great. You could add alcohol to it and that, you know, that's that will extend it. But certainly in the clinical setting at the moment, they haven't been able to replicate it good, well enough to kind of extend it out to the hospitals because they can't work out how to prevent this change, this atmospheric change that changes this, the acid. But using it at home, fantastic antibacterial. Um, what else can I tell you about cinnamaldehyde? You talked about the diabetes in right um, in uh, mice experiments. It stabilizes blood sugar, also reduces fat in the blood system. So things like cholesterol too. So extraordinary health uh, um, helpful for that. Um, amazing anti pesticide abilities and antifungal abilities. Uh, fungal obviously works through the same shikimic acid pathway. So again, we know ridiculously amount, a huge amounts of the fungi that it works with. I'll talk more about funguses when we get to eudronol. But um, in particular, very good for things like dermophytes, which are um, athlete's foot, ringworm, um, candida. Um, what else? No, candida is not a dermophyte, but it is a fungus. It, it is anti-candida. Uh, and also, like, if you get, not dandruff, but that kind of parasitic, scaly stuff that some people can get in their hair, all of those, tremendous. We'll stop for a moment to take a breath here and say to people, yes, Andy Candida, so we don't, so it's great for thrush. Please, for the love of God, don't put it on tampon and put it up your flu. Um, you, will, there, you will injure yourself on, beyond belief. We dilute it, we use it in a massage oil, and we rub it on the pelvis and on the back. Please do not do that. Um, so I think, oh, yeah, so the other thing is that it's very good for moulds like mildew. So if you've got, like, precious roses that get mildewed, you can wipe it down with uh, cinnamaldehyde, and it is very good for that. It also repels aphids and reptiles. So um, if you've got iguanas or if you've got lizards that keep coming into your garden, cinnamaldehyde, they absolutely hate it. Importantly, bees don't mind it. Uh, but if you are going to use it in your garden, I would su uh, suggest, please, using it at night so that it's gone off the plants by the time the bees get up in the morning and it doesn't irritate their feet. I mean, that's just that's just courtesy, I think. 
So that is cinnamaldehyde for you. So to compare that with eugenol, so we've got like, uh, in fact, that we'll do that in a minute. If you've got any questions about that, because that's kind of cinnamon bark done. So obviously you've got a, a, a whole lot of things that's grateful for any kind of bacterial infection, even, um, you know, other nasties as well. You, you talked about, you know, for candida, massaging on the lower abdomen, the pelvis, that type of thing. Obviously we need to dilute it really heavily, but this one is whenever any bacterial infection, massaging topically on the area would be how you'd use it. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, the, like, <clears throat> again, it's not obvious, but... It comes up a lot. Things like bacterial vaginosis. Please, God, please do not put it up inside. Um, and it has an aphrodisiac quality too. Um, so the scent is cited a lot in the Bible in things like Song of Solomon and Proverbs, where there's like an, like a, a seduction happening. Um, it says, "My mistress is smells of Lebanon from the cinnamon that she wears." These beautiful romantic passages. So it is very heady, but if you're not careful, it's also extremely irritant to the mucous membrane. So do not put it on your genitals in any way, shape, or form. Cannot stress how careful you need to use be when you, you would use this oil topically. Only use it on skin that is unbroken, nowhere else. Mm, yeah. Um, any other questions about that before I move on? Let's let's go into eugenol. Okay, so uh, where cinnamaldehyde is antibacterial, eugenol is anti antiviral. Um, wow. So if you've got a bug, really, using both together is, is a clever thing to do. But let's talk about antiviral. Um, eugenol is a really clever, well-explored molecule. It can do lots of things. Um, it going we've we talked about the antinociceptive with the with cinnamaldehyde remember that eugenol does the same thing so uh, we can use it on pain and of course in in things like um toothache that's why why we use it for clove because it stops the pain signaling so again um that pain pain signal is really important but probably top of the pops really for eugenol is its antiviral properties so a virus, of course, is when we go to the doctors and we say, I'm feeling really ill, and he goes, just go sit out and got anything for you because antibiotics won't work. So coughs, colds, um, the flu, COVID, all of those things that the doctor has nothing for, eugenol's very clever with. So, for example, um, there was a tremendous trial done in 2014, and I don't really understand why people don't talk about this more, that um, I think it was an Indian team. Apologies if it's not, they're not Indian, but this this was a, a tremendous trial where they compared loads and loads of different essential or constituents and its effects on flu. So it was exposed to a strain of flu in a Petri dish and eugenol killed it 100% dead in 10 minutes flat. So, wow. but that's in a petri dish, not in a person. But remember, in all of these situations, these these trials are done because they already know that it works really well in a human when you use it in a herbal medicine, and they want to synthesize it. So, we know that it works for flu. It's proven that it's work work flu. We also know that eugenol was the fastest and most effective of all of the constituents that they used. So, this is a really powerful thing if you've got flu. 
Also, eutrodol is being explored as a therapeutic for the germ that will not be named that ends in 19. Um, and the reason for that is because so the, lockdown kind of started March 2020 in the UK. And we were all glued to the telly, weren't we? Seeing what the leaders had got to say, what see what they, they were saying about the science. And science moved so fast during that mm. time. And kind of this experiment kind of looks at all the different areas where it um, grew. So most of the imagery in the UK was the newsreader had a, a, a picture behind her of a, of a, vi a viral cell um, and it got spikes all over it. And yep. that's because SARS-CoV-2, which is its scientific name, uses those spikes to access the body to get into the um, respiratory system. So specifically, it wants to access a receptor called ACE2, which is angiotensin. So that is to do with blood pressure to do with heat, to do with your heart, to do with your respiratory system. If it can get to the ACE2 receptor, it's in. And this is why it was so problematic to people with heart complaints and bad lungs and stuff. So what it, how it does that to get there is there's a spike protein called S1, spike 1. Spike protein goes, and that's like the key to the, to the lock, which is the ACE2 um, receptor. So... SARS-CoV-2, so that it doesn't pick it up again, um, uses the spikes on the spike receptor to go and get into the, to the respiratory system. That's what it does. Eugenol reduces the amount of S1 protein, so therefore takes away the keys to the lock and makes it not impossible but harder for the um, cell to be able to replicate through the body because it can't get to where it needs to be. Also, mice trials show, and this is mice trials, trials given eugenol orally. So it's not the same as aromatherapy, really, but it's about eugenol. Um, eugenol reduce the amount of inflammation in the respiratory, um, in, in the lungs. It decreased the temperature so brought the, the raging temperature down and also protected the heart in these mice mm. so this is really a powerful thing so if you have a bug and you think well i don't know what i've got i've just got something horrible then if you combine cinnamon bark cinnamon leaf and whack it on you all cover you'll cover doorways it, it really um see so also what else can eugenol do Herpes simplex virus, so cold sores, genital um, uh, warts, all of those different things are um, in a petri dish respond to eugenol. So that's its antiviral stuff. Um, it's also incredibly antifungal. And uh, so when you like when you're disseminating these and you're trying to understand what they are, obviously you have to go through and you have to go through all the different. Well, what's that fungus? What's that fungus? What's that fungus? And I should have said that cinnamaldehyde is tremendous for like the mould that get, comes on your wall as well. Uh, but as we've talked about, it, it won't last long. It's gone. It, it changes um, very quickly. Eugenol is better um, at those different things. And there's several different um, funguses that I just thought I'd highlight because they're funny, really. So the first is that not funny, very good for uh, candida. So we've talked about that. 
But also, some of the times you'll look at these and you'll think, well, I don't really understand why it's flagged that up, because why would you want to reduce it? So, for example, the mushroom that grows on the tree is called chicken in the woods, which is nice to eat, kills that. Don't know why we would want to know that. Also, kills the more, the the fungus that exists in yeast that makes uh, bread rise. So perhaps don't put clove in your bread because it might stop it rising, mm. I think. Um, but also, then this is my favourite. So if I teach you nothing in life, te I'm teaching you now how to be the most incredible sorceress of all time, right? So it is active on Fusaria oxysporum, which is, would you believe, a, a, a fungus that eats gold, right? And it's used, and this might be useful to you, Ad, because it is used in Australia. And it's used to help find uh, gold reserves. So in my mm. head, I think that if you ever do out do go out with a, a gold miner or somebody who's prospecting for gold and he cheats on you, you might want to get your eugenol out because then you just go all the way over his gold mine and, and it's gone. It's gone. You've ruined his <laughs> magic thing. So, so don't so don't say I teach you nothing because you know you might you might need that one day, um and yeah those are the main activities of of eugenol. So two very um, different oils that can be used uh, different ways or the same way if you just want don't feel very well the two together are fantastic. Mm, so is that where you do you tend to normally reach for both together as a combination? Like you said, plants are best when they're kept together. Um, well, I have to say, I'm not very good at sticking to the rule that you should really only put three oils into a blend. When I'm blending for somebody else, I do that. But if I'm ill, obviously I'm iller than everybody else. So I need like everything. So yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's interesting, that idea. That I've actually never heard that concept before of only putting three oils in a blend. Could you oh, okay. go so, off on a slight deviation oh, of that for 30 seconds? Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Yeah, that is traditionally the way you do it. And actually, I'll give I'll give Melanie at Drop Smart a plug. So if anybody, if you haven't come across Drop Smart, Drop Smart is the most fantastic computer program where you can put in. This is what I want to uh, try and solve in terms of somebody's illness. I'll put this oil in. I'll put this oil in, and it'll say to you like, "Oh, that's seventy percent effective," or whatever. Usually, with three oils, you can get a hundred percent effective. So what, mm. so what this is called is synergistic blending. And the idea is, and it's more a perfumery thing, to be honest, than a therapeutic thing. I don't really take that much notice of it. But when, when you'll notice when I'm writing a recipe, there's usually three oils. Um, and the idea is that you would mix a top note, a middle note, a base note, and almost like a triangle you've got like one drop of bass note two drops of middle note three drops of top note and then you get like the harmonic exists correctly so usually when you're taught aromatherapy you're taught to blend with three oils and you can get like a hundred percent synergistic quite easily by going especially if you're blending chemically like all these eugenols together um you can get a really strong action but like i say usually i go oh so i've got a pop to cream and i'll have 76 oils in it but i think the most i've ever put in one is 43 yeah yeah 
Interesting. Okay. No, thank you very much for that. Or right. simplistic blending. Yeah. Um, one thing I should just just to jump back with with um cinnamon bark, especially, I've got a colleague in um Romania who swears for it as the number one oil for food poisoning. She's had yeah. uh, instances in her family where um her husband, who does a lot of travel in third world countries, you know, on the last day of his last trip came back and had like eaten something and it had not been a good plane ride but basically had a 24-hour turnaround before he was off to another third-world country and got the cinnamon bark out. And, you know, him and his colleague were on that next flight. He was right as rain. Colleague was still not in a good shape kind of thing. So cinnamon bark, for me, I've kind of, yeah, got that in my head as um, food yeah, poisoning. So, yeah, well, so you know, you, you're going from two angles, haven't you? It's got digestive skills, but also, mm. as I say, E. coli is a bacterial infection. So that's what yeah. that's how it hit it so strongly. The food poisoning is often bacterial infection. Yeah. So yeah. So it's a, it's an impressive. One. Um, to be honest, when you think about lots of people talking about essential oils, cinnamon doesn't come up that often, does it? No, people only really talk about it when, like, as a way to diffuse when somebody's got a cold. But that's possibly, I would say, that's probably because it's very hard to write about it without breaking FDA rules so mm. therefore when people are learning off the internet rather than learning from a person that information is probably not filtering down um and, and the answer to that is to do it the way that i did to talk about the experiments into specific um molecules but that's quite a boring way of learning isn't it for somebody who's kind of got basic knowledge so as you quite rightly say there's a lot of it that will be lost but that it but interestingly if you head towards ayurveda Ayurvedic medicine uses it huge amounts and they they really love to regurgitate the information. And in particular, they talk about how it's reducing to vata and reducing to kapha. So if you've got any kind of congestion in the body, so if you've got like a, a, like a thick cough or you've got uh, a constipation or anything like that where you've got congestion, then it reduces that and it, and it liquefies it which brings me to a contraindication as well that I've forgotten to say. And vata reduces vata. So vata is cold, brittle, not being able to concentrate very well, forgetful. Well, it reduces all that because, of course, it warms the body up and makes you mm. uh, fortified. Interestingly, I use it a lot, but I don't necessarily use it that much on myself because it is very aggravating to kapha. And I am sorry to Pitta, the Pitta dosha, and I'm like almost like the picture book of Pitta dosha. So react, my skin is so pale, so reactive. So you know it is a skin irritated. It, it makes you hotter, and if you've got hot flushes, then that that's not great. Um, yes, yeah, so and talking about how it it, it um, softens things, um, it also thins the blood, and also um, eugenol thins the blood. So both of the oils would be contraindicated if you've got a platelet clotting disorder or if you were on anticoagulant medications or, very importantly, um, if you are going to have surgery in the next 48 hours, you need to stop using it because it is going to thin your blood and make it more easy for you to bleed on the operating table. Mm. So, yeah, for physical, there's a lot that it can be used for. And it's a good. Yeah. It, it's interesting when... Um, you know, there's a lot of different blends that are sold out in the market that are like immunity blends and cinnamon bark and cinnamon leaf appears in many of them, 
One thing that, you know, some of these really popular blends are based on is kind of a historical reference to when the Black Plague was in London. So I don't think you are around then, were you, Liz? Um, I was born time. just on the end of it, so I don't remember <laughs> the beaks, but yes. Yes, but, the, but, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. There, there, there were, you know, the doctors and also the grave robbers would wear these kind of beak-shaped masks over their, um, their nose and their mouth because when you've got the Black Plague, there's no solution. You put necks on the door and wait for people to die. But the wise women would stuff different herbs and spices in there and it's rumoured that cinnamon was one that was in those beaks, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you... Funny, I wrote this for somebody else yesterday, exactly this about cinnamon and eugenol. Ah. About eugenol. If you've got, like, a snippy stick, it's the 21st century version of it, isn't it? You know, that you're wandering around... I mean, we we not we're not so like three years ago. We were paranoid, weren't we? we were going in with masks and stuff like that. Well, you wouldn't do it so much now. But you know, if you're waving it in front of your under your nose, and you you've got that sort of anti proliferation of all the different things that you could catch, it's a very good way of protecting your body. But you do look like a freak show. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, you can either look like a freak show or feel like a freak show. Yes, I know which I'd rather do. <laughs> Wow, I've definitely, from the physical perspective, I've got a, a great bigger um, appreciation for Zoom Bark now. Now, leaning into the emotional and more the holistic aspect of things, one thing I find interesting, especially about cinnamon Bark essential oil, when we look at the different essential oils and where they're gifted from a different plant, there's seeds, there's resins, there's leaves, there's roots and so on, the Bark family is pretty much the smallest family. So to the best of my knowledge, there is cinnamon Bark, there's Cassia, you can get um, from birch, you get bark, and you can also from some of the furs like balsam fir, you can get a bark oil. But there's not too many in that way. Do you know, do you know any others in your, off the top of your head? Anymore. I can't think of any more. No. That. Yeah. So when we think about it, if we're looking at a tree, what is a bark? A bark is its skin or it's like it's its armour. So what I find cinnamon bark is really, really great for is helping us to strengthen uh, or actually not strengthen, but balance our personal boundaries. Now, it's interesting that we're talking about blood sugar before, so it helps to balance out the sweetness in our blood within us. It can also help to balance out the sweetness in our external life as well, as within, so without. So what I find is cinnamon bark is a really great one to use for on an emotional level. First of all, if you tend to have too thinner or too weak in armour, I like to think of cinnamon bark as an armouring oil. So if your armor is a bit too weak, if people are taking advantage of you, if you feel very vulnerable and that kind of thing, it really gives you that strength to kind of, okay, let's know when to say no and when to say yes. But at the same time, it can also be used beautifully for anyone who's emotionally cold, who that, that armor has got too thick. And again, because of that warming action and that circulatory action that cinnamon bark works with so nicely, it can help to bring a bit of warmth in. So whenever you find and you're working with either yourself or someone you care about or someone you're helping, and it's to do with anything to do with armoring, are they under-armored or over-armored? I find cinnamon bark is a really nice one for balancing that out in order to balance out the sweetness in your life. I love that. Peru balsam also is bark oil. Um, ah, yes. Um, <laughs> so therefore, I have no more thoughts because it took me that long to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, and I agree. And this idea of, of balance is really interesting when it comes to the circul uh, circulatory system. We, I touched on it at the beginning, but 
um, in Ayurveda, they use it for menstrual balance. So, and the, and it's like two different actions kind of neutralize each other out. So you've got that blood thinning action that I talked about that would make it contraindicated. But so, of course, if somebody's got like very clotted blood or actually they're not bleeding at all, they're not bleeding enough, then that action deals with that. But also because it's warming and drying, if they are bleeding too much, then that balances that out. And so this idea of balance is really interesting. Um, did you know the Roman word for ba- uh, for a, a measure um, is Libra? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, so the it was such a valuable uh, commodity in um, in in Rome. Sorry, that uh, cinnamon was sometimes used as currency to balance the scales as to to, mm. to weigh um, how much something was worth. And there's a story about the Emperor Nero who killed his wife. They say. Although reading up about her, she maybe maybe the commentaries have been a bit biased. They don't seem to like Nero very much. She may have died in childbirth or or miscarriage. But when she died, he burnt a year's worth of uh, the cinnamon produced in Arabia Felix on her funeral pyre. So she was embalmed. It's very rare that at that point in Roman history, uh, they were embalmed, but she was. They stuffed her full of spices, including uh, cinnamon, and and he burnt an offering to the gods for a year. And that offering was to Pluto, Pluto, the god of the underworld. Um, And you see this idea of relationship with the dead quite a lot as you look through history, particularly in Hindu um, philosophy, they burn cinnamon for the dead too. Um, just a, a, a funny statement about this, uh, the Emperor Nero. His wife was called Papaya something, beginning with S, can't remember. Anyway, she was she was quite the woman. She was she was married and divorced th- three times. She, her story's full of intrigue. One of the houses that was found in Pompeii was named after her because they think that she came from there. But when she died, he was so obsessed with her. It was written that he went and found a freeman, uh, uh, an ex-slave, had him castrated because he looked very much like Pompeia, uh, had him castrated, married him. And uh, they lived as married wife and, she, and he even changed this guy's name to Pompeia as well. So... There's a very strange relationship there, and I wonder whether he burnt it, maybe because he she smelt of it, because she seems to, when you read a story through how she, like, she seems to be quite the seductress. And actually, she mm. also, apparently, they think she owned a brick factory, and that, almost that colour, the cinnamon colour is almost like tiles, isn't it? So I wonder whether he just kind of just kept, he's clearly obsessed with it, wasn't he? Smelling mm. through the years. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating, for sure. Yeah. Uh, now, another thing I know that I like to use cinnamon bark for is which was kind of stickering with that armouring or that boundary kind of idea is in any um, working, whether it be creative visualisation, whether it be magic, whether it be spell work, for overcoming boundaries. Because it helps with that kind of cir- getting circulation going and getting energy flowing, obviously being such a warming um, essential oil, 
could be can be really good whenever you kind of feel that you're stuck against a boundary, stuck against an obstacle, and you need to kind of overcome it. And inhaling cinnamon bark is really great for you know seeing that obstacle in front of you, maybe seeing it you know if there's a person standing in your way or an, an opportunity, see it as a brick wall, inhale that cinnamon bark, feel that vibrant energy kind of coming through your body, and then look at that as kind of destroying that obstacle. And so any kind of workings where you're looking at removing obstacles out of your life, um, cinnamon bark can be really, really nice for that one. When it comes to the leaf, I haven't got as much experience with that, but I, I find that might be, you know, leaf is obviously to do with the air um, and the mind. So this could be a really good one of, of balancing out our thoughts. And I think sometimes, you know, there are obviously people in the world that are too negative and very pessimistic there are some on the other scale of things where they can be a bit too pollyanna or optimistic and kind of don't actually accept reality i think cinnamon leaf could be a good one used for helping us to make sure that we we are open-minded that we realize that you know our thoughts must always evolve and we don't always have to cling to either a really negative or a really positive attitude or even stick to any attitude at all because as you would all agree what we believed 10 years ago is very different to what we believe now. But sometimes some of us will cling hold of a, a vision or a, this is how it has to be or this is what works. And, and this idea of this fluidity that cinnamon leaf could bring in to just anyone who's finding that they're getting really stuck or really caught on a, on a feeling or a thought that um, is not, not allowing them to keep on you know, journeying on or, or ascending through their quest. So, I mean, what we should say is both oils are fire energy. You know, they're the mm. best fire energy, really. So they're driving and motivating and inspiring. Um, I absolutely agree with what you say about cinnamon, um, but uh, not budge, cinnamon bark helping to break through boundaries. I actually think cinnamon leaf puts up the boundaries. Ah, okay. So if, for example, you know, if you've got people... So, yeah, so when I'm writing, the worst time in a book is when you, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, the worst time in a book is when you finish writing it and everybody's like, so you finished it now and you're like, no, no, I've got to do all the editing, I've got to deal with the publishers and, and now the really hard stuff works. And and then maybe it's a bit like when you're having a baby. Haven't you had that yet? Obviously I've not had it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, then, and, it's, and it's so wearing down. Cinnamon leaf's really good for going, I'm not going to catch your mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That kind of uh, stay, stay away. And the fact that it's like the peripheries of the branches as well extends further out as like, uh, right, on a global scale, just stay right away from me. I've just got to do this. I've got to go through process and I can't speed it up and I don't care about your opinion of it. <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah, interesting. there is nothing worse when you wait until you have a baby, especially if you've gone over and everybody's like, oh, haven't you had that yet? What do you do? Make me feel like a failure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, really yeah, important. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that idea of the not, not, not taking on thought patterns of someone else. And I'm kind of reminded... Um, to kind of go a bit of a full circle of the work of Louise L. Hay in her body, uh, in her book, You Can Heal Your Life. She talks about influenza as being, um, you know, the, the mental process behind that is buying into the um, the general consciousness of of the population and that, you know, that kind of belief system of, um, you know, oh, like we all get sick in winter and so everyone seems to, we all together get the colds and flus. 
we know that cinnamon leaf is great for, we've talked about it, you know, for that kind of immunity. And again, on a mental level, don't buy into the fact of winter is when we all get a cold and flu type of thing. Mm -hmm. So anything which is, you know, there, there are obviously things that we are exposed to in the world um, through the news. We have so much access to what's happening in the world, but a little of that we have any um, control over. Um, cinnamon bark could be a cinnamon leaf, I should say. Sorry, it might be a good one for also on a on a larger scale, like not getting involved in, in things you have no impact on. No, I probably should have said this right at the beginning. They don't smell the same either. Um, mm. So the smell of clove is eugenol. So therefore, cinnamon leaf smells like cloves. So they both smell like Christmas. So again, if you, or holidays, I should say, because again, both Jewish um, and Hindu things as well. So um, if you wanted to make that kind of seasonal blend, the two together is lovely because it's almost like Christmas pudding smell mm. or mince pies or something like that. Oh, very nice indeed, for sure. Now, you did mention, obviously, uh, Pluto before. Let, let's look at um, planetary and astrology. Where would you... Would you place the leaf and the bark in different planets? And where, where, are you, where are you going with them? Where would you settle for them? You know, I never did this question about a cinnamon leaf when I was thinking about it. Um, I, no, I think they're both Sun and Pluto. Sun, okay. because particularly the bark anyway, is circulation, immunity, that fortification. Yeah, and, and that immunity comes in with the eugenol as well. So I'm going to say the same, but... Um, Whenever I was, I've just been having Pluto, Pluto, Pluto in the back of my head for days. And then when I found like the association with the dead, I was like, yeah. Actually, it was something that mm. I should have said when I was um, talking about the moulds and the funny moulds. Uh, it kills Aspergillus niger, which is problematic if you are an uh, Egyptologist, because when you break open a mummy, that's the mould that's in there. So that kind of, so that's really interesting because the Egyptians already knew that was the mold that was going to take hold of the mummy, and mm. they used it. They used it for the embalming. Yeah, wow! And a big hello to all our Egyptologists and listening as well. <laughs> yes, no, for sure. That wow, I love that. Um, I'm I'm going to disagree with you this week on, on planetary. It's one of the, I find it hard to find oils that are associated with planet Mars, but cinnamon bark is one that I give. I, I allocate to Mars for Mars that armoring. Mars is a good one, yeah. And, and for the armoring and the motivation. Keep talking. I need to let the dog in. She's let herself out into the storm and she's banging on the door. So you keep talking. Fair enough. <laughs> all, it's all happening here today. So, yeah, I find, you know, Mars is obviously, people often think of the planet Mars, oh, it's named after the god of war. I like to kind of redefine that a little bit and go, yeah, war, but we're not maybe going to war all the time, but we, we, we have to get up each day and we battle through the day. We have challenges throughout the day. So I like to think of Mars to be motivation. And I think sometimes we need to be, mo you know, that, that drive, that circulatory effect, that aphrodisiac effect. And remember Mars is associated with sexual energy as well. Cinnamon bark really helps to warm all that, but it can also help with that armoring so that we don't have our armor too thin, that we get taken advantage of in life and, and overwhelmed by the challenges. But also that when we are at war and the challenges of life don't wear us down, we don't over-armour ourselves, that we then can't emotionally connect with people. And so I find that's why, why I really, really like for any Mars energy and balancing out Mars energy in any aspect of astrology, that's where I go for cinnamon bark. 
Sin Relief, I'd need some more time to kind of contemplate that because it's not one that I've yeah, worked with personally. Um, it's not in my collection, so I don't know too much about it. Mars is a circulatory system as well, as well as the sun, isn't it? So that's that's better. That's that was yeah. that's clever. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, chakra wise, what's your chakra for cinnamon bark? Well, do you know? I think it's kind of the lower chakras that mm-hmm. it would be root, sacral, and a little bit solar plexus, but that fire energy is sacral chakra, really. I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to agree with you on sacral. I, I go sh- that for as well, for that fieriness, but also that the armoring then comes into boundaries, then comes into intimacy. And that's obviously the, the energy center of, you know, intimates, of opening up our boundaries and feeling comfortable around other people as well. And being a, you know, a um, aphrodisiac oil, um, it's kind of to do with that kind of sexual energy as well. So I really like um, cinnamon bark for the sacral chakra as well. So this has been, a, I hope for, for everyone tuning in as well, this has been as interesting. I, yeah, for it's kind of moved cinnamon bark up the rankings of importance and an oil that you need to have in your collection. And I think I'm going to have to hunt myself down some cinnamon leaf and play around with that as well. Would you, if someone had clove essential oil, is it necessary for them to have cinnamon bark as well? Oh, sorry, cinnamon leaf as well, do you think? Uh, well, two, you know uh, my feelings on that. I think that we work in a wasteful industry, so I don't think it's ever necessary. As you say, what you're looking to do is to leverage eugenol, really. That's the magic. Mm. So if you've got it in clove, no. Uh, okay. But if you're a bit of a, a junkie or if you're running low on the clove and you think, oh, am I going to replace oh, Will I replace it with that or will I try a different one? That might be a way to do it. Awesome. Anything else that we haven't covered in Cinnamon Bark? that we should kind of touch on. Now, just or to reiterate the, the difference in the, um, say, the maximum dilution, you you so, so low. It's 0.05% for cinnamon bark and 5%, but you wouldn't go more than 3% really in proper aromatherapy, but you can um, go to 5 uh, for cinnamon leaf. So just be really careful to dilute, dilute, dilute. Yes, I've, yeah. It's it's a hot oil, and I've I, I've had it on my fingers before, and it's yep, <laughs> got it somewhere else. <laughs> Went to the bathroom. Hey, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? Mucous membrane. Exactly. Don't get it there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now this is your last chance to jump in on our October masterclass that is happening next week. So we're going to be diving into you know the oils we've been covering over the last few weeks. But it's also the question and answer time. And that's what we really, really love. You can ask us about anything we've talked about. We can clarify or expand on it. Or you can ask us absolutely anything about essential oils and aromatherapy in general. Remember that the link and the discount code is below. It's happening next Thursday, which I think, I'm pretty sure it's the 26th of um, October. It is. Yep. So make sure you're in for that. Uh, Until next week, anything else that we've missed out, Liz? I don't think there is. We're all good. Going once, going twice, I'm going to go play with my cinnamon bark. Gone three times. Until next (laughs) week. Goodbye. (laughs)